Welcome to Crosspoint. Glad to have you here today. We are back in the story. Today we're looking at Jesus, no ordinary man. Now next week we're going to look at his miracles, but today what we're going to focus in on, the thing that made Jesus no ordinary man, was his teaching. Jesus didn't just quote some authority. He was the authority. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 28, 18? Look up on the screen. He said, some authority, right or wrong? He said, all authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. Jesus was God. Where is Jesus' authority? It's in heaven. Where else is it? It's on earth. And when he taught, he taught as one who had authority. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, The people were amazed at his what? His teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the day, not like the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, the rabbis of the day. They'd heard all that. They would quote the book, Jesus was the book. Jesus was the thought, the logos, the authority on the matter. I love Jesus' ability to teach and the impact it had on people. Imagine if you were a policeman and you were told to go and arrest Jesus in that day of time. You know, that actually happened. The Sanhedrin, the highest supreme Jewish supreme court of the land, if you might want to think of the Sanhedrin in that way, they sent orders from the temple police, go and arrest Jesus. And so off they go. And evidently, when they got there, Jesus must have been in the middle of a sermon, and he's there preaching or teaching one of the two. And the guys probably thought, well, let's just wait till he's you know, finished talking, and you know, the crowd had dispersed, and we'll just kind of move in, do our thing, arrest him, and take him back. And as they sat there and listened to the message, they couldn't arrest him. They turned around and they went back. And the temple guards in verse 45 of John 7 said, Why didn't you bring him with you? Where is he? And you know what their answer was? No one ever spake like this man spoke. No one ever talked like this. No one ever taught these things. No man so spake. That's the kind of impact Jesus' teaching had on the crowds. He was the greatest teacher of all times. Now, one of his methods of teaching from this book in the New Testament was something called a parable. It comes from the Greek word parabole. It, it means to throw alongside. Uh, you might think of it, well, our word parallel comes from it. Uh, railroad tracks run parallel, side by side, do they not? And we've been in something called the story where we look at a heavenly story, the upper story, if you will, with an earthly meaning, right? We're living down here in the earthly, but God's living up here on the heavenly, and those two things run in parallel. God's perfect will will be done, whether we cooperate with it or not. Your life will go a whole lot smoother if you do. But think of it as a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. And there was a time in Jesus' life where he spoke in nothing but parables. And what I like about parables, really three things. Parables make truth concrete. Boom, you can see the application right there before you. Number two, 
Parables make the truth portable. I mean, everyone loves a good story, right? And, and you can remember a story. They didn't have the Bible written out, so you, know, you weren't there taking notes like we often do today. You just heard the story, and then wherever you went, you said, hey, I listened to Jesus. That guy is a great teacher. And he told this story, or parable, if you will, about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the third thing parables do is they make truth interesting. Everyone loves a story that holds your attention, especially if it comes to a climax and you understand the meaning. And his message, he didn't always teach in parables. Sometimes he just said, here's my message. My message was the same message of John the Baptist. Repent, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand, at the elbow. It is among you. What's the kingdom? Well, part of the kingdom is the church, and the church age was about to begin. The Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, was about to decease, and the New Testament was to come into effect. But there's a part of the kingdom which is simply talking about God's rule in the hearts of men and women. And that's what God was trying to get across. That's what Jesus went about preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he taught several parables that we're going to be looking at today in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Matthew 13. We're going to be looking at several parables of what the kingdom of God is like. The first parable I want us to look at this morning is that of the seed and the sower. The seed and the sower. It's in Matthew 13. We'll begin down at verse Three, and we read about three things. We read about a farmer, and the farmer represents God. We read about some seed being scattered in a field, right? And the seed represents the Word of God. And then we read about different kinds of soil that this seed falls upon. And the soil represents different kinds of minds, different kinds of hearts of men and women. As the seed falls on your heart, how do you receive it? How does it take effect? How does it grow? That's what this parable is all about. Somebody says, well, I've never really heard God speak to me. Well, have you read this? The number one way that God speaks to you today is through the Word of God. Someone says, how do you hear God speak? Read His Word. That's the number one way. Oftentimes, God will also use a gifted preacher or teacher of the Word who has the Word of God in them, and he will communicate God's message effectively. But there's also another way. I believe that God speaks through inspiration. And you say, well, I'm not sure that I buy into that. You know, the same people that tell me they don't believe that God can inspire people with thoughts and ideas and creativity are the very ones that say, well, the devil made me do it. They believe in temptation, they just don't believe in inspiration. Why would you believe that the devil can tempt you, but God can't inspire you? That doesn't make any sense, now does it? But the number one way is the word, the the seed of God. Now, if you're ever going to hear God speak, you've got to open your mind. The first thing you've got to do if you're going to hear God speak to you, especially about His kingdom, because you want to be in His kingdom, and part of the kingdom is the church, the rule of God in your heart so you can go to heaven, you've got to cultivate an open mind to receive the possibility that God can speak to you through His Word. Don't harden your heart, in other words. 
In verse 3 of this parable, he says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer, remember that's God, went out to sow his seed, that's his word. As he, scatter, was, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Ate it. Now, why did the birds come and eat it? Because, you remember, when a farmer would walk around his field, he would go around it. And you go around it enough times, you make a path, and the path get, the dirt gets packed down hard. You don't want to walk all over your field because then the whole field becomes packed. But you go around it, and on that path, it becomes so hard that the seed cannot penetrate. Well, sometimes men and women's heart get so hard toward God that they reject it on its face. They won't even allow for the possibility for God to speak to them and to their minds. And then he gives the meaning of verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts. So they cannot believe and be saved. There are people with open hearts. There are people with closed hearts. Uh, This past 4th of July, we were invited to some neighbor's house down the street for a barbecue. And they invited a number of other neighbors and a number of other close friends of theirs. I didn't know all of their friends, but I knew a number of them. And one of the ladies came up to me at the party, and she knew that I was a preacher, and she said, Bruce, uh, she's a Christian woman, she said, Bruce, I am so upset with the recent Supreme Court justice decision on same-sex marriage. And about that time, another fellow came up that I really didn't know that well at all, found out he was an unbeliever. And uh, I was trying to explain to her, let not your heart be troubled, when he chimes in and says, well, I think it's a perfectly legitimate law, and I believe in separation of church and state. Okay, find yourself, you're a preacher in the midst of these two people. Two kinds of soil, right? One is hurting, heartbroken, down, discouraged, depressed, and ineffective as a Christian. In essence, not really doing God a whole lot of good. She was so down and hurt over this. And I said, that's not the way God wants you to react to these kinds of decisions. You know, we're knocked down, but Paul says, I'm not knocked out. I said, look, let not your heart be troubled. God's still on the throne. The tomb's still empty. We still got the word. Jesus said, occupy till I come. That's just the Bible's way of saying, stay busy in kingdom business until I come back and I'll make everything right. And she felt better. And then I tried to explain to this, other soil, that separation of church and state by our founding fathers doesn't mean at all what it's turned out to mean in the last few recent years. As a matter of fact, the phrase separation of church and state does not even appear in the Constitution. And um, I said, he said, well, where did it start? And I said, well, there's a, a a preacher at the Danbury Baptist Church in Danbury, Connecticut, who had heard a rumor that the Congregational Church was going to try to establish a national religion. Now remember, they fled from England because they only had one religion, the Anglican Church. They wanted to come here for what? Freedom of religion. That's why they came. And he wrote to his good friend Thomas Jefferson and said, Tom, what can be done about this? And he said, don't worry. It's just a rumor right now, but they couldn't do it if they wanted to because there is a wall of separation 
that would not allow that to happen. And that phrase was turned into separation of church and state in a Supreme Court ruling. Some lawyer brought up that letter, a private letter between a preacher and a former leader. And they built a case, and case gets precedent, and precedent gets added onto precedent, onto precedent, onto, <laughs> until we're in this mess today. Our founding fathers were very anti-religion. No, they were not. They were some of the most godly men and women that you would ever meet. The, really, the whole purpose was not to keep so much religion out of state, but to keep the state from meddling too much into religion. And... Everything's been reversed. Well, this guy was one of those guys that don't bother me with the facts. My mind is made up. And so I tried to enjoy the rest of the 4th of July party. (laughs) Having failed on one hand, having been encouraging on another hand. And um, long story short, hardened hearts represent the closed mind. Do you see that? That's the point of this parable. This person does not listen to God, and the result is God's word never really does take root. Remember the Pharisees that you read about that Jesus was always butting heads with? He would try, they were always trying to trap him or trick him, and he would respond with Scripture, and sometimes they would answer, and sometimes they wouldn't answer, but Jesus always got the better of them because he was the better teacher. He understood the book better than they understood the book. And when he would quote pure scripture, like this day, this scripture is fulfilled in me, they didn't want anything to do with that. They thought Jesus was a lunatic. Hardened hearts. Hard soil. This person never listens to God, and the result is God's word never takes root. The tragedy of a closed mind is it's barren, there's no fruit, that life is for the birds. Number two. If you're ever going to hear God speak, you're going to have to allocate time. Allocate time to hear God speak. One of the reasons you don't hear God speak is you don't allocate time to hear God speak. One of the things I like about going through the story as a congregation together, it does kind of force us to all read the same chapters, right? It all kind of keeps us on the same page. So when we go to the growth group, when you hear the message and you go to the growth group, you're kind of on the same page with everybody else, and the Word really is starting to take deeper roots in us, those that are participating. You have been growing exponentially from the folks that haven't really been taking part in this blessing called the story. And so you've got to allocate time. Does it take time and trouble uh, to get spiritual exercise? Yeah, but Paul says physical exercise is profitable for a little, but godly exercise, spiritual exercise, is profitable for a whole lot more because it has eternal consequences that go with it. Verse 6, he says... Other seed fell on shallow soil beneath the rock. These are people that are shallow, that just want a feeling, and they're going for the emotion rather than the substance of God's Word. You ever met people like that? This seed began to grow, but soon withered and dried from a lack of moisture. Oh, it sprang up real quick, but then it hit this rocky shelf. And now the sun's beaten down and and the water can't really sink below that rock. And then the roots can't dig deeper, so the sun ends up scorching that particular plant. 
and it's dried up and it withers. Verse 13, the application of that. Those on the rock are those who receive the word with joy. These are the feeling people. I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. I want to feel healthy. I want to feel terrific. I want to quiver in my liver. They may even have an emotional religious response to something at a, at a sermon or a rally or a concert. But there's really no depth to them. You know people like that? That's the person that he's talking about here. Anybody can follow Jesus when everything's going well. Here's a person with no roots. They believe for a while, the text says, but in times of testing, they do what? Fall away. It's not the real deal. They fall away when the test comes. See, um, here's what I know about you. If you've got plenty of money, you've got a house, you've got a nice car, maybe you've got a boat, maybe you've got an RV, maybe you've got jet skis, maybe you've got, you know, a vacation home in another place, and you've got a great income. It's not hard serving God under those conditions, now is it? Wow, isn't it grand to be a Christian? Isn't it grand? But let all those things go away, and now you've got more month than you've got check, and you fall on hard times. What happens to your faith? Well, what has God done for me lately? You know, where's Jesus when you really need Him? What good is Jesus if He doesn't give me everything that I want? And we treat God like a vending machine in the sky where we put in a prayer and we pull out whatever we want. God is not a super Santa Claus in the sky that just gives you everything you want. And he won't feed you from a vending machine because vending machines, you eat from a vending machine for a year and you're going to die. Bad food in there. But that's the way a lot of people treat God. Some people want a blessor, not a savior. They want a sugar daddy, not a king. And Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. These parables can get difficult and tough, can't they? Man, they really kind of hit home sometimes. And so, shallow soil represents the superficial mind. They are thrilled, but they are not transformed. They are very, very shallow. And then, if you really want to hear God, you not only got to cultivate an open mind, you've got to allocate time to listen, but you've got to eliminate the distractions in your life. If you're going to hear from God, you're going to have to learn to be quiet. Stop thinking about your concerns, your worries, your career, your bills, your deadlines. In verse 7, he puts it like this. Other seed fell among thorns. What's a thorn? It's a weed. And what do weeds do? They choke out things. They choke out the life of the other plants, which grew up and choked the plants. Now he gives the application. Let's move quickly. Verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. They're getting it here. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures. You ever been choked by life's worries? Some of you are worriers. It's not doing you any good. Jesus says, worrying will not add one single second to your life. As a matter of fact, it will probably shorten it. Don't worry. Or riches. Some of you are pursuing riches more than you're pursuing God. Or pleasures. 
worries, riches, pleasures, and they don't mature. See, the problem with this kind of soil is there's no fruit. And so soil with weeds in it represents a preoccupied mind. It's better than a closed mind. At least they're open to the Word of God, and it starts to grow. But some other things start to creep in. Budgets and bills and career choke out your relationship with God. Most people don't have fruit in their life because of weeds. What is a weed? What is a thorn? Anything that takes your time away from God. And then number four, if you're ever going to hear God speak, you've got to become like this person. Say, God, I'm willing to cooperate with whatever you have to say to me. That's the person God can use. God, I'm going to hear you, I'm going to listen to you, and whatever you tell me to do, boom, that's what I'm going to do. No questions asked, it's just full-on cooperation. God speaks to the person who decides in advance that they're going to do whatever God tells them to do. Verse 15, let's just get right to it. The seed on the good soil. Remember, we've just looked at three other soils. Here's the good stuff. The seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. They hear the word. They retain it. And by persevering, notice, they've gone through testing, right? If you're persevering, you're going through testing. This person's gone through the test, and the test may be continued, but they're also persevering. What happens to that person? They produce a crop. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. The good soul represents a willing mind. What kind of mind do you have? What kind of soil are you? That's the first parable. Now, we've got about four or five more to get through, and I've only got about 15 minutes. And so let's go fast forward to the wheat and the tares. In verse 24, he said, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. You know one of the names for Jesus, or one of his titles on earth, was not only the Son of God, but also the Son of Man. And what did the Son of Man do while he was here? He preached the word. He went about doing good. He went about spreading the seed of the kingdom, that God's rule would rule into the hearts of men and women where it wasn't yet. Jesus told him this parable. He's like the Son of Man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Now, didn't we recently talk about Jesus having an encounter with Satan in the wilderness and those temptations he went through? There is an enemy. He's called the God of this world. His name is Satan. And Satan will use and corrupt human beings to try to thwart what we are trying to do in the kingdom of God. Because they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to us. Remember the scribes and the Pharisees and all those guys, the Sadducees? They were always trying to undermine the word that Jesus spoke. But while, verse 25, everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. This was a common way. If you wanted to really hurt an enemy, here's what you would do. During planting season, after your neighbor had just planted a real nice, let's say, a wheat crop, you took some weed seed, and in the middle of the night, you went and scattered that. And you know that wheat and some kind of weeds, tares, 
as they first begin to sprout, they look very, very similar. There's no way really to tell a difference. And so you're thinking this is going to be a great crop. But then as they both begin to grow together, you see wheat and you see tares. And you get the little fuzzy thing on top. One is healthy, one is bad. And then the workers of the field says, oh, who's done this? An enemy's done this. Verse 28. The servants ask, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up some of the wheat. Hey, the wheat's the good stuff. You don't worry about that right now. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I tell you, the harvesters, and those will be angels, by the way, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Here's the principle. There will be true believers and false believers coexisting at the same time until Judgment Day. Now, it's not really our job to figure out who's the wheat and who's the tares. We're just to keep serving Jesus. But don't you dare be shocked when you find out that there's unbelievers in the church. Don't be shocked by that. It's all going to come out in the wash, is what Jesus is saying. Number three, the mustard seed. Verse 31, he told them another parable. Now he's talking about the kingdom here, folks. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, to any Jewish mind, this was kind of like a Hebrew idiom for the smallest seed on the planet. Is the mustard seed the smallest seed on the planet? No, it's not. There are smaller seeds. But in their minds, that was just their way of saying something very, very small. And Jesus picks up on that idiom, that little Hebrew colloquial way of thinking. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest, now what's the next word? Of all your seeds. Who's he talking about? Jews. Your seeds. In your mind, this is the smallest of all the seeds. And I will admit, it's a tiny little seed. You see his point. Yet when it grows... It's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that even the birds of the air can come and perch in the branches. Here's this principle. The seed of God's Word. This book right here, when it's scattered by the right people on the right soil, can become something very, very huge. Are you seeing this? These are short little stories. They're short little parables. They're heavenly stories with earthly meanings. What are we supposed to be getting from this, folks? We need to be the right kind of soil because God's the right kind of God and the Word of God's the right kind of seed. We need to be open to it, but we shouldn't carry it all to ourselves. You know, our church may start as very, very small, but you know what? Next year, we should be bigger and the year after that, bigger and the year after that, bigger if we're doing our part. If we're being the good soil, guess what? A church cannot not grow. So if we are not growing, there's something wrong because healthy things grow. Small little seeds grow to big trees. When healthy and well-fed and well-taught and fall on good ears with good hearts and good soil. Amen? Are we good soil? Yes. So next year, by this time, we're going to be bigger and better. Now, this next one, oh, by the way, when it comes to people, you know what I see in all of you? I see growth. And you know what I love about our new Christians? You know, those are one, two, we got some that are three years old. And I kind of still consider you new. 
And, you know, sometimes I'll hear people say, wow, they sure got a long way to go, don't they? And I go, are you kidding me? You, you should have seen them three years ago. I don't look at how far you have to go. I go, look how far they've already come. Because, you know, not everyone's had the privileged background, you know, maybe being raised in a Christian family in a godly home when you were learned, you were taught the Word of God from the time you were knee-high to a grasshopper. You know, some people didn't start attending church or knowing about God, the whole family, until many, many years later. And so it's amazing what God can do when it falls on the right heart and the disciples take their job seriously. And that's really this next parable. The parable of the leaven is found just one verse. Matthew 13, 33, he told them still another parable. This is how simple a parable can be. Heavenly story with an earthly meaning. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Now, what does yeast do when you put it in flour? Mix a little water. It causes it to rise. It's, it makes this dough, this, like, like this big, puffs up to that big. It grows, in other words. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, here's the principle. A few disciples called Crosspoint Christian Church can spread the kingdom to the whole world if we'll just obey God's word and follow the principles of the parables. Amen? This is a simple story. This ain't hard to get. Jesus taught on about a fourth grade level. What I love about Jesus, I could understand him. You know that most newspapers are written on a fourth, fifth, sixth grade level for the most part. Why? Easy to read. You can get through an article real quick. These parables, easy to read. You can get to them real quick. You can understand them. You don't have to really think it through. Now, there are some things that Jesus could just blow your mind with. Don't get me wrong. And there's some difficult stuff that you'll find in this. And, you know, I don't always understand the Apostle Paul. And I don't always understand Peter. And I think one time Peter says, I don't even understand Paul. So, you know, sometimes it can be difficult. But for the most part, it's just pretty plain and straightforward. Let's make a little personal application to this one here on the leaven. I was talking to Letty Pena this morning. I said, Letty, I'm looking forward to the barbecue tonight. I've invited six people to come with me. And two have received the invitation with joy and gladness of heart, and they will be here. See, if you want two to come, you've got to invite at least six that you've built sort of a relationship with. Tonight when my friends come, Barry and Helena, they're relatively new neighbors. Just We're here, they're there. Bought the house, I believe, less than a year ago or so. And uh, we're kind of getting to know them. They're kind of getting to know us. And when the relationship is built to the point that I felt comfortable. Hey, Barry, how you doing? wonder if you and Elena would like to come to a barbecue at our church. You've never been to our church. I've invited them a, a few times. And, uh, you know, just dress casual like you're going to a, you know, a picnic or something. And, and he said, well, let me talk to Elena. I'll get back to you. Well, last night he got back to me. He said, we'll be there. What do you want us to bring? I said, just bring a hungry stomach. And uh, Letty says, I got a couple of free tickets. You know, if you bring a first-time guest, they get to eat for free. Jane and I aren't even out of pocket on this one, man. This is great. <laughs> Building relationships with our neighbors, invite them to a barbecue, and it's free. <laughs> now, what if every single one of you invited six people and got two to come? 
Man, wouldn't next, week, next month's barbecue be great? And we're saying, yeah, this is great. Isn't it grand to be a Christian? Isn't it great to have a good heart? Oh, I want to be the wheat. I don't want to be the tear. I, I don't want to be that tiny little mustard seed. I want to be that big plant that grows. And I want to be like that yeast that rises. But then we never do anything about it. We've got to use our mouths. We've got to use our feet. We are his eyes. We are his hands. We are his feet. If the gospel is going to get preached, who's it going to get preached through? Us. The twelve are dead. Did you know that? Now, their words live on, inspired through the Holy Spirit, but we are now to be the ones to share the kingdom message. And so a few disciples can spread the kingdom to the whole world. Number five. Wow, we've got to speed this preacher up. The parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Remember I told you in the beginning the Bible was written for us, but not to us? This is kind of hard for us to understand, uh, unless you do geocaching like David. Um, We don't hide our money in the ground anymore. This was before banks. And so if you had a treasure and foreign invaders were coming, or to keep it away from thieves or robbers you would find an appropriate spot on your property, you would dig a hole, and you would bury it. And that made very good sense. Well, let's say you found some property that was for sale, and you were checking it out one day, and you came across, whoa, look at this hidden treasure. And you dig it up. And you go, what, this belonged to five previous owners before the new owner. They'd never found this. And it's worth billions. Aren't you going to do whatever it takes to raise enough money to buy that field? Listen, folks, heaven is worth selling everything you own and giving everything you got in order to obtain the kingdom of God. Nothing is more valuable than the kingdom of God. There is a sense in which we have the kingdom of God living in us right now. But there is another sense in which we will get to heaven where the eternal kingdom will take place in its fullness. Right now, we've got to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's perfect will is not being done on earth. So we've got to pray for that part of the kingdom to come down to earth. But there's going to be a day when we're going to go up to that perfect place. Don't miss out on it. Enjoy it now, the part we can. And... Look forward to the future to come. But nothing, nothing is worth holding and keeping for yourself. Sell it for the kingdom's sake. Now, one more. Actually, i got two more. Verse 45, the, the, the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. When he found one great when he found one great price, one of great price, he went away and sold everything. It's that same principle. 
and uh, he bought it. So the kingdom is so valuable that it's worth selling everything you possess. And now finally, the parable of the net. When they would go fishing back in those days, they would lay out this net, and then they would drag it behind the, the fishing vessel, that hoist the sails, or let the current take them along, and fish would swim in this net. And in this net, you'd have some good fish, you'd have some bad fish, and then you'd have some trash fish. And then you'd bring it all to shore, and then you'd start sorting it out. And you kept the good, and you threw away the bad. Say principle here. Good soil, bad soil. Now notice what it says here in this passage. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. In this case, he's talking about good fish and trash fish. Jesus talked one time about separating the sheep from what? The goats. That's just another figure. That day is coming. The question is, which one are you? Are you in the kingdom? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? I'm not talking about religion this morning. I'm talking about a relationship with the king of kings who's in charge of the kingdom. This is a kingdom parable we're talking about this morning. And then Jesus finally... Let's wrap it up with verse 51. Have you understood... Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? That was Jesus' way of preaching a message and saying, Get it? Got it. Good. Okay. Yes, they said, we do. The principle of this one is, evil will eventually be rooted out of the kingdom when we get to heaven. But until we get to heaven, there's going to be ups and downs, and we've got to be faithful and persevere. Do you realize what a privilege we have in having this book right here? All the parables. Not only do we have the book, but we have the author of the book living inside of us if we are born again. He was no ordinary man. Now next week we'll look at his miracles. This week we've been looking at his teaching that made him no ordinary man. Next week he'll walk on water and he'll heal the sick and the blind will see and the lame will walk and he'll calm the storms and even the dead will be raised. But this week there was no greater teacher in all the world than Jesus Christ. And if you are truly born again, you're going to want to share the good news of His kingdom message with other people. Let's pray. Now, if God was going to do a scan of your brain right now, work with me on this, all right? God's looking at your brain, your heart right now. What kind of a mind would He find in you? Would you be like that first man in in that first parable? Would you have a closed mind, not even open to the possibility that God might be trying to talk to you through His Word or through this preacher this morning? Or would you have more of a superficial mind? You're a believer, but there's no real depth in your life. The smallest little problem, you dry up and you blow away. Or maybe you have a preoccupied mind. You're just so busy you know, with life and the cares of the world You give God your leftovers, and that's about it. Or do you have a willing mind? You not only hear the Word of God, but then you do the Word of God, and you produce a crop, some 30, 60, 90, 100-fold. Father, thank You for Your Word that's been preached this morning. We have spread Your seed, and I pray that it will fall on good soil, honest hearts, open minds, and that it bears much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.